All right. Well, good morning to each one. Hope that uh, you had a good night's sleep and the Lord has been blessing you richly. I know he has uh, my family and I. God is good. And um, we're going to go into our, our two remaining studies uh, on uh, the sanctuary and more specifically uh, the judgment is what we're going to be looking at in much more detail. And so before uh, I share any more, why don't we begin with a word of prayer. Let us kneel. <clears throat> Our Father, we come before you this day grateful for a good night's sleep and rest. We thank you for the nice meals. We thank you, Lord, for the spiritual meals you have been given to us as well. And our great and mighty God, as we come before you, we do so at a very solemn yet joyful hour in the history of our world as you have entered into the third and final phase of your ministry for the salvation of mankind. And Lord, uh, you know that we'll be addressing some, uh, some issues, delicate issues here today. I pray that you will hide the speaker, Father, behind the cross. That self will not uh, be manifested, but Christ and Christ only. Lord, I pray too that you will bring uh, to the mind of the speaker the, the illustrations, Lord, that you wish to present. Lord, we know that you love us all. You gave your son to die for us and you are doing a work in each of us. I pray that you will give us attentive hearts and help us to recognize the truths in the manner that we will understand them. And we thank you, so please pour out your Holy Spirit. Father, we wish to receive the early and the latter rain in its fullness. So give us hearts that are emptied of self and filled with you, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. All right. Good to see you again, Jaden. <laughs> Welcome. And I see you brought your mom with you. This is good. <laughs> well, I, uh, I began by sharing with you how much I enjoy uh, the passion that I have in studying the sanctuary because it helps to explain the plan of salvation in such a, a simple way. And I need things to be simple. Uh, I find the more I study scripture that if it's really complex, something is wrong. Um, and yet, having said that, even though there's simplicity, there is, it is profound in its depths. And so what I hope to, what, what I hope to do today uh, is I'm going to start pulling together some of the things that we have been studying uh, to understand more fully, uh, one, why Christ hasn't come. The sanctuary will teach us why. And, uh, and in doing so, we're going to address an issue that is within Christianity and is starting to make inroads within Adventism. And we're going to expose, the sanctuary exposes it as an error, and we'll, I'll show you what that is. The other is the fact that the, the character of God is vindicated in the judgment. Even though we are the ones judged, uh, this thing began with an accusation against God as being a tyrant. And the judgment shows that to be false. And in the second study, when we do an overview of the judgment, that will be revealed. And so I'd like for us to go ahead. Let me get these things passed out to you. If you can pass those out. And I'll leave extras right here for, hey, good to see. I think I have your pen, by the way. Oh, oh yes. There you go, big guy. All right. As we have learned, 
Uh, on October 22, 1844, Jesus began the final phase of his ministry for the salvation of humanity. And, uh, and in that work, God is working to see who is safe to save. That's a very interesting expression, but that is, in fact, what we're talking about. Who is safe to save? It is the first phase of the judgment process, followed by the sentencing stage, which we looked at, as well as the executive, which we will also be talking about in, in fleshing out in, the, in, our, in our second study today. Um, but as Christ is cleansing the sanctuary of the record of sin, the, the judgment reveals to us there is a corresponding cleansing that takes place on the people who are waiting for Jesus to come. There has to be a correlating response to what Christ is doing. And we're going to be looking at that today. So number one, as we're looking at the goal of the judgment, what is God's goal, uh, ultimate goal for his people? In Great Controversy 484, we read, Christ will clothe his faithful ones with his own righteousness, that he may present them to his Father, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Their names stand enrolled in the book of life. Concerning them it is written, They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And what this, what this is revealing to us is, um, is total victory over sin. We're going to flesh that out a little more. But it's total victory over sin. And we're going to see what that is and why it has to be that way. It has to be that way. I want to show you something. If you open your Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 12, Daniel reveals something to us here in this chapter that's very important uh, as it relates to our subject. You remember the parable of the ten virgins. You had five foolish and five wise. All ten of them had an understanding of truth. And the Spirit of Prophecy tells us that that parable is about us as a people. This is the Seventh-day Adventist Church. How do we know that? Because they're virgins. They have the truth. They have the truth. But the truth doesn't have all of them. There's a difference. And, in, and what we find is that five of them had a theoretical understanding of the truth, but it never impacted their life. The other five had an understanding, but they allowed that understanding to impact them. They were wise. Now watch here in Daniel chapter 12, because Daniel is all about the time of the end. That's where we are. Amen? And in verse 4, the angel tells Daniel, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall what? Increase. And we always say that's technology. And there's truth in that. But it's more than that. You know, back then they didn't have Bibles. They had scrolls. And they had to unroll them. And if you were going to study a scroll, you would look at this verse. And if you were going to compare it, you would have to go over here and compare it with that one. Many would run grow and knowledge would increase. It was an understanding of the scriptures that would increase. And in the last days we have through the Advent movement the understanding of the prophetic uh, period of the 2300 day, how it relates to us and the judgment comes out of that. But watch this as we get uh, as the angel hones in on this and watch what he has to say. Verse 9, And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. 10, Many shall be what? That's what the judgment is all about. Made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the 
wise will understand. The wise had an understanding, a practical understanding of what Christ was going to be doing in the most holy place. That's what differentiated them from the foolish. One had a theoretical understanding but never entered into the experience. Does that make sense? And so this is what God's goal is, is total victory over sin. That sin shall no longer um, reign over us. Amen? Okay. So we're learning then through these studies that sanctification, or shall I say perfection, is a moment-by-moment -moment surrender to the revealed will of God. And that is accomplished through the daily experience with Christ, through the study of the Word, to talking to Him in prayer, and yielding to His leading. Amen? We studied this. Number two, Jesus will do this work in the lives of those who want it. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the end that everybody ultimately gets what they really wanted? Yes. Jesus will do this work of purifying. And in Malachi chapter 3, we have a real interesting description of the judgment and more specifically of the investigative. Malachi 3, 1 through 3, Behold, I send my messenger, and he'll prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? This is a reference to the judgment, not the second coming. And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of who? And purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in what? In righteousness. That's their life. That's we're on number two. That's their life. Jesus will sit as the refiner's fire. You know that, and, and you've heard this expression, it's worth repeating, or this illustration that the one who refines gold, as he is purifying it in heat, he watches until finally he can see his what? His reflection. And, the, and, and don't think for a moment that Jesus used that illustration as a happenstance. No, it's a perfect illustration of what he wants to do in your life and in mine. And by the way, it's done through the fire, isn't it? It is. It is. God never wastes our pain. Amen? And King David had an understanding of this. I just find it fascinating, the depth of understanding that David had. It might have something to do with the depth of sin that he fell into. He came to understand how great his Redeemer was. And David said this, Vindicate me, O Lord. That's a call for judgment. For I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord. Improve me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. So this is a call. Does David sound terrified of being judged? No, because he knows in God he's his friend. Lord, search my life. If there's anything wrong, please correct that. Number four, the righteous call for this investigation because they have come to understand that they are blind to their own sinful condition and they need the help of Jesus, not only for healing, but also for diagnosis. Amen? We have a way of justifying evil. We're very good at that, aren't we? It's amazing. And we can be blind to our own thing. You know, I remember one day sitting at a table with a friend and he had ordered a meal and when it came, uh, it was a soup, and there, were, there was meat floating in it. And I saw it. He was a vegetarian. 
And I thought that was strange because it looked like meat to me. Now, I was a carnivore and a half, so I know meat when I see it. And I'm looking at that, and, and I didn't want to call him out because maybe it was something else. So I kind of looked in a, to, the <laughs> to the menu, and there was what he ordered. It had pork in it. So I looked over at him, and I said, friend, that's got pork in it. And this is what he said to me. Oh, well, there are soybeans in there, too. You know, I kid you not. I have, <laughs> I have thought of that. But we as Adventists do this. We throw soybeans on things, and then we say it's okay. In our own lives, we justify when we refuse to forgive someone, when we're unkind, when we get mad. You know what I'm saying? We throw soybeans in the pot, too. And so we have got to understand that what God is looking for is a reflection of his character. You know, it's not just what we do, it's who we are. Amen? It is both. And so it calls for an investigation because we don't understand ourselves. In Psalms 19.12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. I remember a time, my sister and I are very close. And um, one day, my sister can tell me things that <laughs> most people won't get away with saying. Okay, in other words, she can tell me the truth. <laughs> and, and one day we were talking and she said something to me. It was early in my walk with Christ. And she said, George, um, you do this and this and it really grates on me. Now I thought about it. I didn't see it. Therefore, it did not exist. So I got in the car and I drove off. I was on my way to see my grandmother. And as I was driving, her words kept echoing in my mind over and over. And then I had a creepy feeling that the Lord was pushing the replay button. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't letting that get away. And so I said, Lord, this is before, by the way, I even understood of the investigative judgment. If you're wondering what it looks like, I'm giving you examples. And I said, Lord, is that true? Is what my sister said true? And the week wasn't out that God revealed to me on several occasions that it was true. And I learned something about myself on that day that I can be totally blind. You know, when somebody comes to me now to criticize me, I don't immediately ignore them. I will listen to what they say and I'll go and talk to the Lord and I'll ask him, is it true? You know, sometimes your enemies will tell you things your friends wouldn't. Are you with me? So you go to the Lord and you ask, is there truth in it? And if the Lord brings no conviction and I'm fine with it, I'll move on with life. Are you with me? But I, I don't quickly dismiss. I want to know. In Psalms 139, 23 and 24, we find these words. Again, the call for judgment. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way, what? Everlasting. That's, that's the ultimate goal. 1 Corinthians 4, 4 and 5, Paul brings out this idea. For I know nothing against myself. Yet, I am not justified by this. Just because I don't see evil in my life, I, it doesn't mean that there isn't any, Paul is saying. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. By the way, I just want to make a distinction here about judging. You know, we're living in a day that if you walk up to somebody and you tell them what they're doing is sin, they'll say, stop judging me. And that's not judging. Okay, judgment is, is, is ascertaining the motive. You know, have you heard somebody say, I know what they're thinking? That's not true. We don't. We're, we're usurping a, a prerogative that belongs to God and God only. We don't know why people do what they do. We don't understand their thoughts. Let's be honest, half the time we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. How in the world are we going to figure out what, <laughs> what they're doing? But God says you will know them by their fruit. 
And there is such thing as discernment. And if somebody is lying, that's a violation of the law of God. Now, I may not know why they did it, but they did do it. And I can, I can call it on the fact that it was done, but not on why. That's not my, my field. I leave that to the Lord until the books are open. Then the thoughts are revealed. Then I can judge that. But as far as his actions are concerned, Jesus says you'll know them by the fruit. That's discernment. Uh, but why, number five, is this? Here we go. Now, the question that you asked earlier, somebody was asked last week, or last week, yesterday, <laughs> a lot has happened, right? But yesterday was, what about this issue about we're going to be sinning right on up to the second coming of Christ? That's the issue, and it's everywhere, and I run into that, and you all have been running into that too. What about that? Watch this. Great Controversy 425. In other words, so not just obvious things, but even the hidden things. Not just open sins, but even the sins of ignorance. Why must even the stuff that's going on in my life be revealed? Before I address this, let me ask this. When I sin ignorantly, is that charged against me as a sin? No, it isn't. The blood of Jesus will cover my sins of ignorance. Amen? He is up there as, my, as the mediator. And when I do wrong and I'm not aware of it, his blood will cover it. But now, while in the daily experience, suddenly he brings it to my mind, I need to ask for forgiveness so that the blood of Jesus will do away with it. Amen? Watch this. Great Controversy 425. Those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of a holy God. How? Without a mediator. Their robes must be what? Spotless. Their characters must be purified from sin by the blood of sprinkling. Through the grace of God in their own diligent effort, in cooperating, let me add, they must be conquerors in the battle with evil. While the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven, while the sins of the penitent believer are being removed from the sanctuary, there is to be a special work of purification, of putting away of sin amongst God's people upon the earth. Because see, if when, but from the time Jesus ceases, the administration comes to get us, there's a period of time. If that period of time I sin, do I have a mediator? There is no mediator now. So the sin now remains, even if it's in ignorance. So God has to deal with the whole thing. Now, is God able to do it? Is he willing to do it? Is he ready to do it? Absolutely. The only variable is you and I. But he is ready and willing and well able to perform the work. You can't perform it. I can't perform it. But he can perform it. Are you with me so far? Now, here's the thing. We have to understand that what the sealing process is, is a settling into the truth so that we cannot be shaken. We cannot be moved into sin because it's repulsive to us. Are you with me? Jesus was, was sinning to him was repulsive. And I shared with you the story of the young boy who stole away on the boat and on account of it, the captain lost his life. When he came to understand what his sin cost, that act was repulsive to him. You could, the devil contempt him till the day, all day long. He was not going to give in to that. Now, in days past, he would have. But once he came to understand what that sin cost, it lost its hold in his life. My dear friend, has Jesus ever given you victory in your life over any sin in your life? If he can do it in that, what can't he do it in? You know, when people say to me, no, we're going to keep sinning until the coming of Christ. They're telling me more about the power of sin than they are telling me about the power of God. 
Does that make sense? So God can and God will. Let's keep going. Once we understand this, once we understand that when, we, when Jesus leaves, that to continue sinning for his people is, is fatal, we begin to understand why Jesus has not returned. Watch the next quote. Number six, why has Jesus not returned before now? Christ is what? We thought we were. He's waiting. With longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of the Savior shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim his own. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Were all who profess his name bearing the fruit to his glory, that's character development, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel, quickly the last harvest would be ripened, and Christ would come. So now let me explain this in sanctuary terminology. When the sinner came and confessed his sin, you remember, it went on the lamb symbolically, and then it was caught in the blood and transferred to the sanctuary. When you and I sin, and we ask Jesus to forgive us, he places his blood upon it, right? Okay, for Jesus to leave the sanctuary then, what has to happen? The sinning has to stop in his people. Does this make sense? Now listen, if you're looking for your, to yourself for the strength, you're going to leave here in despair. You've got to look to Jesus. There is no hope in us. Our hope is in Christ. But Christ can bring us to this place. By beholding, we become changed. It's not about what we can do. It's what He can do through a heart that believes Him and is willing to submit to the process. Does this make sense? Jesus will leave when He's out of business. When there's no work left. Now, I want to give you an imagery. You know, over the years I've read so many things and, and, I, and I don't remember exactly where these quotes are found and I am so sorry, but read the Spirit of Prophecy, dear friend, and your heart will soar. It will soar. But listen, Jesus will not come while there's still one sinner remaining who is walking towards him. He will hold up the show, friends, for that one. He may have 99.9 .9 of the 144,000 ready to go, and there's one yet coming towards him, and he will hold up and say, we almost have this one sealed. We're going to wait until that one crosses the line. And when he has that one fully sealed, he says, we're done. Let's get him. Are you with me? But Jesus loves everyone. And while there's one yet left to save, he is going to wait. But while the, the now listen, there will never be a time in this process that we're going to look to ourselves and say, oh, I made it. Because if you do that, you have taken your eyes off of Christ. Our strength is in Jesus. Spirit of Prophecy tells us, though we cannot in the time of trouble recall any sin, we will always be aware of our unworthiness as long as we're looking to Jesus. Are you with me? Always be aware of our worthiness as long as we're looking to Jesus. You know, oftentimes we talk about hastening the coming of Christ. By the way, you know how we hasten? By cooperating. That's how we hasten. But listen to this. 
How is this waiting time affecting God? Have you ever thought about that? Education 263. Those who think of the result of hastening or hindering the gospel, think of it in relation to themselves and to the world. Few think of it in relation to God. Few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our Creator. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin or end with His manifestation in humanity. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception, sin has brought to the heart of God. Every departure from the right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. Have you ever experienced grief? Have you ever stood by the grave of a loved one and experienced grief? Every departure from the right brings grief to the heart of God. There isn't anyone that wants to end the sin crisis more than him. No one wants to end it more than he does. But to end it prematurely would cost the lives of those he wants to save. And so he waits. He waits for a generation to arise that will believe him and will respond to him and will let him finish the work in their lives. And I believe that generation is walking the earth right now. I believe that we're at the end of this thing. I truly do. And there are reasons. I shared it with some of you why I believe so. But let's look at the note below that. Oh, wait. Did I... Yeah, there was a note below six. Uh, you might have to go back. But Denopilo 6, it says, For this reason, this is the reason why Jesus has not returned yet. He is waiting for his people to believe him, to cooperate with him, so he can finish the work he has begun in them. When this work is done, he will come to claim them as his own. Jesus will finally leave the most holy place when there is no longer a need for his ministry, his mediatory work. But how does this work? Let's take a look at this. First, we must understand and believe that God wants to deal with sin in our lives. We have to come to a place to not excuse it, but to believe He wants to deal with it. He wants to deal with it on three levels. The first is the level of our outward behavior. The second is at the level of our thoughts. And the third is at the level of unknown or ignorant sin. In other words, our motivation, even for our good works. Why are we doing the right thing? Are we trying to earn brownie points with God? Or are we doing what's right because it is right? So God wants to deal with sin on all three levels. We, what we are looking at here is total victory over sin. We're looking at its total eradication. And the removal is a process. It is a process. It's not instantaneous. We couldn't handle it. It's a process. Now... If you're wondering what this looks like, I like using an illustration of, uh, of, a, of babies learning to walk, children looking to walk. Have you, ever, have you ever had kids learning to walk? Some of you parents here? Yeah, you know a little bit about that, don't you? <laughs> and, and, you know, when they're walking and they stumble, have you ever seen a parent, you know, kind of yell at the kid, hey, you know, you're really embarrassing me. Will you please get up? Uh, you're, you, know, <laughs> you can do better than that. Do parents, do parents do that? No. They very lovingly come alongside and they say, Nice try. Good effort. Let's try again. Until the child learns to what? To walk. And, and Jesus is seeking to do this in every area of our lives. In some areas of our lives, we're walking. 
and in other areas we're struggling. But Jesus will work patiently with the one who is willing to cooperate with him. He will not give up on anyone except for the one who gives up on him. Jesus never gives up on us. Are you with me? But we can give up on him. So he works with us in every area of life teaching us how to walk until he has us walking. Amen? God is good. So let's take a look a little deeper. Seven, for what purpose does God want to deal with sin in its totality? Ephesians 5.27, that he might present, to her, present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, we brought this out earlier. In the sanctuary, when the priest or when the repentant sinner was to bring his lamb, God had given specific instruction that the lamb was to be without spot or blemish. What did that signify? Sin, right. The spotted blemish was sin. In fact, it goes on to say no wrinkle or any such thing. And that now description of Christ is given to the church. You with me? It's a description to the church. But we go on. Youth Instructor, 1899. But Christ, watch, this is so encouraging. But Christ was to bear the penalty of the transgression of the law of God, not to give men liberty to continue in sin, but to take away their inclination to sin, that they might not desire to transgress. Those who receive Christ are obedient to his commands, for his mind is given to them. He imbues them with a spirit of obedience, and they return to their loyalty. We're not talking about an improvement, but a complete change. Humanity and its nature and its condition cannot be improved upon. It has to be replaced. That's why it's called a new birth. If you need an illustration, look at it like this. You know, in, in surgery, you have all the instruments and it's in, and it's in like that little towel-like thing. And what do you call that area? A sterile field, right? If that, an instrument falls and hits the ground, can it be used for surgery now? But yet it can still do the works. But all of its works are contaminated. It needs a thorough cleansing before its works can be acceptable. Are you with me? That's why there is nothing of which we can boast. It has to be Christ and Christ only. All the praise. That's why if we have any musicians in here, don't accept applause. When you're doing something for the Lord, let all the praise go to Jesus Christ. Don't ever. You stop the audience. Say, no, this is to Jesus, not to me. And amen is appropriate. Because it's not about us. We want to be invisible. We want Christ to be seen. Amen? It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Volume uh, 3, Testimony 538. It may take what? Time to attain perfect submission to God's will. By the way, let me stop right there. You know, quite often, and I, and I say this because I think it will bring somebody hope. Quite often, we make our decisions based on feelings, how we feel. Well, I don't feel saved, therefore I, may not, I must not be. Can you Please show me a text to support that. I want to see the text. Um, we make this on feelings. When Jesus begins the work of transforming and changing us, do you know what is the last thing to change? Our feelings. But they will change. 
but there will be the last thing. So we have to make decisions based on reason, the higher power, and allow God to work in us both to will, which is our desire, and to do of His good pleasure. He will change our feelings in time. Amen? So the things we used to love, we now hate, and the things we used to hate, we now love. Amen? I love studying the life of Ellen White because that lady struggled, friends. She did not like to eat healthily at first. You study carefully. She had to psych herself out to eat bread. She used to eat squirrels. So study. And, and, and she was human. And you can see how God did that in her life. He'll do that in yours too and in mine. He will do it. So let's get going. It may take time to attain perfect submission to God's will, but we can never stop short of it and be fitted for heaven. True religion will lead its possessor on to what? Remember what perfection is. It is submitted moment by moment to the revealed will of God. Your thoughts, your words, and your actions, as well as your appetites and passions, must be brought into subjection to the will of God. You must bear fruit to holiness. I want to share with you an illustration. Okay, you know that I have an active imagination. <laughs> I was just showing you that Bible program. Perfect for someone like me. I want you to imagine that you live in the dark ages. So let's go back in the time. So those of you who have imagination, this is going to help you. Go back in the time and, oh wait, oh wait, there's a sheet right there if that's what you need. Go back in the time. All right. And you're living in a, one of those old towns in the dark ages. You know how gloomy and, and awful that can be. And on top of that, you're an orphan. All right? You are an orphan. And you live uh, off the street. My grandfather, when he was 11, this was his, his condition. He lived eating out of trash cans in the cities of Portugal. And, and so he lived off the street trying to, to survive. So this is your condition now, okay? And in and, and, and the kingdom in which you live in, the king can really care less about you. But you hear about this kingdom not far away. Where the king there, he's really nice. You hear these things. It's hard for you to believe such a thing. But you hear that he really cares for his subjects. One day, uh, you hear a lot of commotion in the village. And you run to find out. And people are lining up this road. And you discover that the king from that other kingdom is coming through the village. And so you're really curious, and being small, you wiggle your way through the crowd, and you're watching, and all of the, suddenly you hear the marching of soldiers and these powerful men of war in their bright, shining uniform and armor are marching by. And pretty soon you hear the, the sound of hoofs, and you know that must be his, chair, his, his uh, carriage. And as you look, you see these beautiful white chargers just in, in unison coming down the road. And you see this golden carriage. And as the carriage is coming close to you, you see it slowing down. And it stops in front of you. And suddenly the door opens. And this very handsome, powerfully built, but gentle-faced man comes out. And as he's looking over the crowd of pitiful, poor people, you, this look of sadness. And suddenly his eyes fall upon you. And as he looks at you, he steps forward and he extends his hand and he says, my child, do you have parents? And you say no. And he says, will you allow me to adopt you? Would you be willing to be my child? And so in a dreamlike state, before you even catch yourself, you find yourself extending your hand, accepting his, and he very gently leads you into the carriage. 
and he goes in with you, closes the door, and your mind is just spinning. And before you know, you come into, you can hear the sound of the hooves on the drawbridge as you're coming into his castle, and as you look out the window, it's beautiful, and you come in, and the inside is so beautifully decorated, and, 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 and then you see the servants lined up in such beautiful order, dressed so smartly, and, and, as, and then he comes out, and he turns around, and he extends his hand, and he leads you out, and he turns to the servants, and he says, this is my child. I want you to get my child ready for dinner tonight. I want to meet with my child. We're going to have a meal together. And so the servants whisk you off and they take you over and they throw you in the bathtub because you were probably dirty, haven't been taken a bath in who knows how long, and they're scrubbing you down. And then they cut your hair and they trim your nails and they clean them and, and they dress you very nicely. And then um, they bring you to the table and you sit down with the king. And now I want to ask you a question. Do you know how to act? You're probably wiping your mouth with your sleeve, making all kinds of strange noises, and you don't know how to act like royalty. But are you still royalty? Yes, you are. And then the king explains to you that it is the job of the servants to teach you how to act like royalty. And so the, the servants begin to teach you. That king is Jesus, and his servants are found here to teach us you see, when God called you and I to be his child, didn't mean that right then and there we knew how to act like it. There is a process of learning. But is the king going to be patient with the process? As long as we remain in it and we desire it, we want to learn, God will be there to make sure that we do. Does that make sense? Let that imagery remain in your minds, dear friend. It will encourage and strengthen you. What's our next quote here? Where am I? Oh, okay, so... Now let's take a look at Desire of Ages, page 302. Listen to what the servant says to us. If the eye is kept fixed on Christ, the work of the Spirit ceases not until the soul is conformed to his image. That's a big if. By the way, if that's true, then you know the devil's job is to distract us from Christ. If the eye is kept fixed on Christ, the work of the Spirit ceases not until the soul is conformed to His image. Now listen, this work of giving victory over sin, of, ha of, of responding so that the, the sin has no power over us, this will be done for a group of His people in one generation. It will be done in one. And then Christ will come to take us home. This should have been done before 1898 and could have been, but there was no faith. We looked instead to our own good efforts or our own failures and did not look to Christ. And that's why we're still here. But our generation is beginning to understand this and they're yielding to the price, to the power of Christ. They no longer want credit. They're willing to let Jesus have all the credit. Amen? Number eight, this process involves our cooperation by examining ourselves in the light of God's word. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves, and we talked about this, as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? You know, there are times that I go home and I kneel by my bed and I weep and I say, Lord, you know, I blew it today. I'm so sorry. And I can hear my master bending over me saying, my child, tomorrow is a new day. We'll try again. 
Tomorrow is a new day. We'll try again. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we're judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. You know, sometimes God allows us to get into a situation to alert us to a danger. Let me give you an example. I read something in scripture that, that deals with a sin issue in my life and I conveniently ignore it. Ever done that? Then what will happen is God will bring somebody into your life, somebody close to you, either a spouse, a family member, a friend, who will point the thing out. And if you ignore that, then God's going to bring someone else. And the circle grows until you are dealing with an open exposure. Are you with me? I watch this as a pastor and as a teacher. It is absolutely amazing. You know, sometimes some of the kids at school that get into trouble, they think we're spying on them. And I sit them down and I say, my child, you don't understand. The investigative judgment is taking place and God is trying to save you. We don't have to spy. <laughs> you, you're, you're, going to, you're going to expose yourself if you don't cooperate. We, don't, we, we were too busy to be spying, gang. But we're here to try to help place your hand in the hand of God and you're fighting it. And you're going to end up getting yourself removed from the school. But the choice will be yours. Are you with me? So God doesn't give up on us when we suddenly turn away. He'll bring people just as he brought prophets to Israel. He'll bring them. Number nine, every secret thing is brought out in the judgment, including our thoughts and motives. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. Proverbs 16, 2, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but God weighs the spirit. Even our good deeds, we pat ourselves on the back, but why did we do the good thing? God judges the motive. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is, a living and, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So as we study the word, prayerfully asking God to search us, God will begin to reveal to us our motives for what we do. And it's humbling, let me tell you. We're not as good as we think we are. It is a humbling experience. Now, two things. Why is this hidden sin thing such a big deal? Because hidden sin in our life, even though it's hidden to us, is still causing damage. Now, some of you are young. Wait till you become parents, and then you look back, and now you know things you didn't know when you were younger, and you're seeing the effect on your children. So even though it's hidden from us, it's still causing damage. Okay, let me give you an illustration that will work with you. You ever had a virus in your computer? The most dangerous virus in your computer is the one you're not aware is there. Why? Because it's wrecking havoc on your computer. You want to know what the virus is immediately to remove it so it stops causing damage. Amen? But there's another reason. When Jesus returns, he's coming in how much of his glory? Jesus' presence is what to sin? A consuming for God to return while there's any of that remaining in us would destroy us. Does that make sense? So sin has to be completely eradicated from us. But who's the one that does that work? Jesus. But we have to be willing and cooperate. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay, let's continue. Every hereditary sin are considered in the judgment. Ezekiel 24. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Then make known to them the, the abominations of their what? 
fathers. That's why we cannot justify evil just because it's generational. The cycle has to end with us. And it can, friend. I did not come from a perfect home. And there's things in my house that aren't going on that did go on in the house I grew up in. Are you with me? And I don't take credit for that. It all goes to Jesus who set me free. Are you with me? And so even generational sins God will deal with. 11. God will graciously, graciously show us everything that keeps us from fully reflecting his character. Philippians 3.15, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will what? Reveal even this to you. Open your Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 2. There are different ways in which God reveals it to us. And I mentioned one, it's through uh, the study of the Word and a meditation on the character of Christ. Um, by the way, I love, I love doing that. I love reading about Jesus. You know what I love most about reading about Jesus? is how he deals with the wicked. That is absolutely fascinating to me. I mean, it's beautiful to see how he dealt with Mary Magdalene and how he dealt with the, with the uh, publicans and whatnot. But how he dealt with the Pharisees fascinates me because he dealt with them in a way that I wouldn't have. You think of Simon. Ellen White tells us that Simon led that girl, led Mary, into uh, that prostitution uh, um, career. And yet when she was washing his feet... Um, Simon was indignant. You remember Simon, the one, the, the, the Pharisee who was healed of leprosy? And he ate at Simon's house in the alabaster box when, the woman, when Mary was wiping his feet? That Simon was like, he was saying, boy, if Jesus, only, if this, if this, if Jesus was really a prophet, he wouldn't have known what kind of woman this was and he wouldn't let her touch his feet. But Jesus knew the story of that girl, that Simon was the one, he probably sexually molested her and got her started in this career. He knew and what amazes to me is how Jesus deals with Simon. He turns to Simon and gives him a parable. And he reveals to Simon that he knows the secret of his past. But he doesn't expose him to everybody. And so Simon, Ellen White says that that reality broke his heart. And he realized he was in the presence of God and gave his life to Jesus at that point. It is the goodness of God that draws us. I think of the woman drugged before Christ. Remember how he dealt with her? And that's beautiful. I love that story. But I think about those scoundrels that brought her. They set her up. Then, while in the act, they grab her and take her to church in front of all the members. You think she was dressed? And so laying there, he asked those guys, what do you, those guys want, they're asking Jesus, we should stone her, what should we do? And Jesus even answered them, begins writing in what? Sand. All of their sins. And as they look and see themselves, they leave. Jesus didn't do to them what they had done to her, and they deserved it. But he treated them with such dignity, even though they didn't deserve it. And he wrote it in sand that he could quickly brush over so no one else can see. When I think about the character of Christ, I fall well short, friends. Hey, listen, if that had been me, But I don't want it to be me. I want it to be Jesus. Amen. 
Number 11. God will, okay, and this is the thing. Okay, James 2, that's where I am. James 2, verse 2. And if there should come into your assembly, oh, wait a second, is that right? Oh, I think I got the wrong verse. Where is it where it says, think it not strange? Oh, I wrote down the wrong verse. Anyway, my apologies to you. The word tells us, think it not strange, the fiery trials that have come upon you as though some strange thing has happened. Is it Peter? Is it Peter 2 2 I'm thinking of? First Peter 2 2. Okay, I am so sorry. I got us off on a, on a goose chase here. But the point I want to bring out is think it not strange. The fiery trials that have come upon you is though some strange thing has happened to you. God will lead us into experiences that will show us sin dormant in our hearts that we didn't even know was there. The reason we don't know is there is opportunity had not presented itself for it to come forward. So God in his love and mercy, you have a question? 1 Peter 4.12. Let me correct that here. There it is. Beloved, do not think in strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of God's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad and exceeding joy. Uh, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of, of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. In the difficulties in our lives that we're led into, God is revealing stuff that's dormant. You know, the guy that cuts us off on the freeway and suddenly we come out with a colorful metaphor, or maybe we don't wave properly, or you know what I'm saying. I mean, or, or, or maybe the person who cuts in line at the, at the, at the cafeteria line, or... God will lead us into experiences or at work when things go bad or at the classroom, the teacher I'm clashing with, are you with me? To show us there's something in there that has to be dealt with now. This is what the investigative judgment looks like in the everyday life. God is wanting to go deeper into the issues of our life to bring thorough healing. You know, when I think of where I was and where I am now, I want to share something with you. I have more peace and joy in my life than I ever have. Now, I used to follow the world's way. I grew up in Los Angeles. There's a lot of the world there. And, there, and, and I had friends who had, whose fam family had money, and we got into all kinds of trouble. But I had no lasting joy, no lasting peace. And so at the very end, I tried to take my life. And when Christ entered into my life and basically said to me, look, give me a try. You've tried everything else. And I thought, well, what do I have to lose? Right? I mean, I can always go back to this. And so I gave Jesus a try. And I have never looked back. God has, I have more peace and joy and meaning in my life and fulfillment than in doing the things that I thought were going to bring it. The world has nothing to offer us. The devil, what he offers is a mirage. He promises and doesn't deliver. He won't deliver. He can't deliver. But Christ can, and he will. And, and, and so God wants us all to experience the abundant life that he, that he wants us to have. 
let's take a look uh, at number 12. Why does God do this? This is not to condemn us, but so that we may repent and live. Ezekiel 18, 30 and through 32. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies says the Lord God therefore turn and live I can't imagine losing a child I have a friend who just lost their eight-year-old girl to meningitis I can't imagine the grief but you know our love isn't perfect but God's love is perfect what must God feel at the loss of a child what must he feel we could never understand because we don't have perfect love can you realize of course that God doesn't have love he is. He is the personification of love. So here we get some insight as to the close of probation. Do you realize that God does not close our probation? He doesn't close the probation of the world. Who closes it? We do. By our refusal to respond. We come to, he, there comes a place that we're no longer able to. And God respects the choices we made. And he backs off. Very well, my child. You don't want me. Okay. Does that make sense? We close our probation. God does not close our probation. Does that make sense? Number 13. God's righteous judgments teach and train us so that we may share in his holiness and reap a harvest of righteousness and peace. Hebrews 12, 10, 11. For they are earthly dads, indeed for a few days, chasten us as seems best to them. But he, God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of what? Of his holiness. No, now no chastening seems joyful for the present. Amen? But painful, nevertheless. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have what? Been trained by it. You know, I... There have been times in my life as a pastor um, I, 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 that I've had, I've had some unreal difficulties. Unreal difficulties. And, and I remember one in particular that the ordeal lasted about two and a half years. And about the end of that time, um, they, I, I woke up one morning with chest pain. I couldn't breathe. My arm was numb. And they rushed me to the hospital. And I was in ICU that day because they thought I was having a heart attack. It was that experience shook my faith to the core. But you know it was the best thing that ever happened to me? I learned I can, that God can take care of me. And through that experience, I came to understand more fully um, God's protective care, um, His power to turn things around. Um, I came to understand more fully the principles by which He operates. It was a blessing to me. Do you know that? Do you know that horrible ordeal resulted in me having greater peace later? Do you know that? It's amazing. But God never wastes our pain, and He never allows us to go through anything that won't be for our good in the end. Where are we here? 
Number four, 14. The end result of this work will be the cleansing of the conscience from all sinful principles, that's all the viruses, and through the mighty agency of the Holy Spirit, writing upon the mind the principles of God's law, as is promised under the provision of the new covenant. Now, we've read some of these texts. We're going to do it again and just, to, just to flesh out the picture, and we're going to add some. Ezekiel 36, 25-27. Dear trembling soul, this is what God has promised you. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and look at this, cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Amen? Hebrews 10, 15, 16, and 20. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Philippians 2, 13. Why? Because it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal uh, spirit offered himself without spirit, to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 2 Peter 1, 2-4. Watch this. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you, dear child, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Watch this. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Will you accept that by faith? When you ask Jesus into your heart, the Holy Spirit comes and brings the power of the divine nature into the fallen element and begins the changing process. You remember the, the story of uh, Israel entering uh, Israel, I mean entering Canaan. And remember the command given to them. We've, you've got to drive out all the Canaanites. If you leave any behind, they will cause you to lose your inheritance. And so it is in our lives that as God continues the process of driving out the Canaanites, we cannot leave one fortress behind. A foothold given to the devil becomes a stronghold. All of it has to go. Are you with me? It's a process. Joshua and the Israelites didn't drive everybody out one year. It was a process. And so it is with us. Philippians 1.6 For of this I am confident that he, Christ, who has begun a good work within you will, not might, go on to perfect it in preparation for the day of Christ Jesus. Jude 24 Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power from now and ever. Amen. What does the life look like when God's law is written in the heart? Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
It looks like Jesus, dear friend, like Jesus. 16. What will be the final result of Christ's judgment work in his end-time saints? Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Does that make sense? But there is a warning for us. You see, we were told that if the eye is fixed upon Christ, that the work of the Spirit ceases not until the soul is conformed into His image. The devil knows this, so there is a warning. And it's found in Great Controversy 491. Watch ye therefore, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Perilous is the condition of those who, growing weary of their watch, turn to the attractions of the world. While the man of business is absorbed in the pursuit of gain, while the pleasure lover is seeking indulgence, while the daughter of fashion is arranging her adornments, it may be at that hour the judge of all the earth will pronounce the sentence. Our weight in the balance and are found wanting. Dear friends, Jesus is coming soon. And this work is wrapping up soon. And he is wanting us to understand this, that we can cooperate with him and share this with others. There are people out there, as Ellen White says, who are wistfully looking to heaven, knowing there's got to be something else. And he will lead us to them. God is good. Let's close this section out with a word of prayer, and I'll give you five minutes, and then we'll come back for an overview, one last look at the judgment. Let us pray. Father, we're, we're reminded that it is your loving kindness that draws us. In a world filled with pain, in a world filled with betrayal. It's hard to imagine that anyone could be so good. And Lord, we know that you understand this and it takes time to build trust and it has to happen in a relationship that is safe. And it takes time for those of us, Lord, who have been wounded. But Lord, we know you never give up on us. And so I just pray that you will strengthen our faith, Father, and to believe you and to remember, Ellen White says that we can't pray to you that we believe, help thou our unbelief. And she says we can never be lost while praying that. So Lord, help us in our unbelief. We're being honest. But Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And we know that you will finish that which you have begun in us because you've promised if we will but trust you and hold on. Thank you. We praise you. May we remember the things you've taught us here today and prepare us for the next study. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.